to the Death-Defying Human Flycast. My name is Max Romero, and I'll be your host on this one-of-a-kind journey into the world of the superhero stuntman called the Human Fly. The wildest superhero ever, because he was real. This time, we'll be doing something a little different on the Human Flycast. Instead of discussing the next issue of the Human Fly, today we'll be keeping it real as we dive into our first listener comments episode. Thanks to Dr. Ange for giving us a title for the mailbag episodes, and thanks to you, the listeners, for all of your fantastic feedback. Now let's go! In the first episode, I was joined by Patrick Joseph, who brought a wealth of knowledge about licensed comics, 70s pop culture, and D.B. Cooper. Together, we discussed The Human Fly Number 1, Death Walk. Featuring a guest appearance by Spider-Man, the story combined a flashback to the human fly's origins and a daring mid-air rescue after a jet airliner is hijacked. Matt Seroff says, Thanks for tackling this most mysterious of comic book characters. I've been intrigued by this character since finding the first issue in a comic book 3-pack at a Toys R Us. There just isn't a whole lot out there about him. A few articles in a sketchy wiki article is all I've ever been able to find. Welcome to the club, Matt. For a long time, that was all I was able to find, too. And yeah, a lot of what was out there was mostly rehashed rumor and sketchy third-person accounts, and you can put some of the blame on that for the way the fly was handled from the beginning. The human fly was built on a sort of manufactured mystery, and the people who built that persona never really talked about it afterward. Was it to preserve the shadowy origin for future use, or just to hide what could be considered a mostly failed effort at something bigger? There's really no way to tell. But little by little, I've been able to find posts online, old newspaper and magazine articles, and most amazingly, video clips from TV appearances that have been uploaded to YouTube. There is a group of folks who have been trying to get a human flight documentary off the ground for a few years now, and they've unearthed and shared things that weren't previously available, and that is a goldmine of human flight history. We're living in the middle of a human fly renaissance. Rob said, I'm not done with the episode yet, but I don't want to forget this. Human fly definitely needs to be added to the MCU, and he needs to be played by Johnny Knoxville. Make a note of that. That's going to come up later. Rob came back to say, Great first episode, Max. I really like Patrick's observation about Marvel's licensing binge in the 1970s, and what that might say about the market at the time. This needs to be its own show. It seems amazing to me that the human fly has so completely disappeared. I mean, we found Amelia Earhart for Pete's sake, but no one can find Mr. Rojak? Again, kudos to Patrick for linking him up with the equally mysterious D.B. Cooper. This is like a Venn diagram of my interests in the form of a perfect circle. This is going to be a fun series. Looking forward to more. Thanks, Rob. Martin Gray said, I'd not heard of D.B. Cooper until recently, but he turned up on Loki this week, too. 
He seems to be one of those names who are very famous in the U.S., but not so much elsewhere. That actually surprises me, Martin, because uh, I've always assumed D.B. Cooper was better known than that. But it could also be that I enjoy kooky conspiracy theories, and I think Rob does too. Personally, I think a never-aging Cooper changed his name to Clark Gregg, became an actor, and is living his best life as a fan favorite in the MCU. But that could just be crazy talk. Shag says, Our buddy Ben Avery does a show on the various licensed Marvel books of the 1970s, Marvel's Cosmic Comics. Star Wars, John Carter, Rom, Micronauts, and beyond. I'm sure Ben will be thrilled about Max's new show. Well, I hope so. And if anyone would like to give that podcast a try, you can find Marvel's Cosmic Comics on Apple Podcasts. Mike Dynas says, Great show, everyone. I really enjoyed the deep dive into the human fly specifically, and stunts, marketing, and the craziness of comics in the 1970s in general. Patrick was a great guest, he was, and had some excellent insights. And Max, you were fantastic as usual. Well, thanks, Mike. What a wacky and crazy idea that just seems to work. This is a series that I've only ever known about but never read, but listening to your recap, I would love to seek this series out. It looks like a ton of fun. This whole concept looks like it would be ripe for toys and other merchandise. Do you know if there was anything made at the time? Keep up the great work. Mike, unfortunately, no one ever took advantage of what I think would have been a bonanza in merchandising. Meagle figures, a stunt cycle, a helicopter, accessories. This character had so much wonderful potential for merchandising that it seems like a real lost opportunity. There are some custom figures out there now, and some of them look great. There's also an officially licensed one-issue Human Fly comic book available on Amazon, written by Michael Oshanker and featuring stories and pinups by various comics professionals. I'll include that in the show notes for anyone who's interested. But since the rights to the fly are privately held, there's not much out there. One of my dreams is that Human Fly International and Marvel will work something out someday, and will not only get the fly back into the Marvel Universe, but that we'll also see some kick-ass toys on the shelves. Continuing on, Chris Franklin said, Fantastic first episode. Patrick was a great guest, and I greatly enjoyed your discussion about the real human fly and the first issue itself. Amazingly, Marvel didn't seem to learn their lesson since they actually published that Nightcat one-shot in 1991. I have never read the series, but I will be searching the back issue bins to read along. Off to a great start, and you only have to clear 19 issues. Is, is Chris taking a shot at me there? I think Chris is taking a shot at me. Brian Linton said, Great premiere episode. I remember the stuntman craze of the 70s. The Fall Guy and Super Dave Osborne are two examples which spring immediately to my mind of the place stuntmen held in pop culture at the time. Brian, I have not thought of Super Dave Osborne in years. That is crazy. I am not familiar with the human fly, so I'm looking forward to learning more about the man, the myth, and the comic book character. Rob McCarthy said, I was born with a disability and am a wheelchair user who read the blurb in bullpen bulletins at age 5. I willed myself to walk quite a bit. Spoiler, it didn't work. 22 years later, when I read issue 2 with Ghost Rider, I was not really comfortable with a, quote, real person meeting Ghost Rider. You know, Rob, I can totally see that. Marvel certainly did stretch that because he's real bit as far as they could, and then kept going. Siskoid said, Forgiven for the mangled French because one, good show, and two, no idea what you said. That makes two of us, Siskoid. Martin Gray came back to say, I've never read a Human Fly comic. I was buying Marvel at the time, but a non-powered stuntman who looked that goofy never appealed to me. But I was on the rowing machine in the gym this week, and one podcast ended, this came on, and I couldn't change the show. And you know what? I enjoyed the show immensely. Well done, boys. I don't know if I'll seek out the comic, but I'll keep listening. Why was he called a Human Fly anyway? Stickability? Actually, Martin, Daredevil's the kind that would walk tight ropes and scale buildings, not necessarily, you know jump from rooftop to rooftop with women named Electra, were often referred to as a human fly. 
I'm pretty sure this human fly is a reference to that history. We'll actually see the phrase used in issue number 5. Shag said, Glorious first episode. This brought me so much joy and clearly brought you both joy as well. I'd never read this series or knew much about it until we did a Bill Mantlow retrospective episode with Max. I read a couple issues of Human Fly to keep up with Max and adored it. A few rapid fire thoughts after listening. 1. Part of the drive for Marvel to license so many characters in the 1970s was a direct result of the popularity of the Star Wars comics. It's been said often that the Star Wars comics saved Marvel from bankruptcy at the time. It's, you know, it's hard to think of Marvel being that close to bankruptcy now when they're basically <laughs> uh, running the movie industry. But uh, Shag goes on, for sure, that's a big incentive to find the next big licensed property. Two, in response to your question about a modern human fly, while I would enjoy that thoroughly, I think there was some magic in the air around stuntmen in the 1970s and early 1980s. With the advent of CGI, that same celebration of stuntmen sadly isn't present nowadays. Three, you asked for other heroes with a physical disability. Daredevil, oh, synchronicity. Daredevil immediately springs to mind. He's blind, though his powers drop him firmly in the superhuman category. Four, only tangentially related, but the human fly makes me think of the British 1970s Green Cross Man, portrayed by David Prowse, later Darth Vader. There are some similarities in the era, costumed real person and marketing campaigns. And hey, the Star Wars human fly Marvel connection. And finally, and it bears repeating, Ultra the Multi-Alien. Again, wonderful first episode. I learned so much and was fascinated by all the speculation and marketing discussions. And of course, celebrating Bill Mantle's ability to spin gold from straw is always appreciated. Chip Donahue said, I just learned about your podcast for the human fly. What a great idea. I have been posting human fly related images on Instagram. I am looking forward to new episodes. Well, thanks, Chip. And if you'd like to check out uh, those images that Chip is talking about, and you should, Chip has posted some wonderful stuff. You can find that at the Undaunted Human Fly on Instagram. Suddenly it all seems as though it was yesterday. I stood in that train station and I waited for you for over six hours. Then when your letter came, it started to rain. And I opened it, and the ink ran all over the page. The most important letter of my life, I still don't know what the hell it said. It said, Dear Lewis, I love you more than life itself. But to run off with you now, that my country is in danger, would be an act of cowardice. I'm marrying Paul Duchard because... And that's all I can remember. You can't remember why you married him? That letter was written a long time ago. I've written thousands of letters since. What's the difference, Lewis? What's done is done. I can't remember why she married him. I must have gone through eight liquor stores. Now, our second episode inspired some ideas from guest Steve Givens on how the human fly could be brought into the current times, while in issue number two, our hero does his best to foil a murder attempt while teaming up with Ghost Rider on A Race to Destruction. Clinton Robinson said, Thinking about your comment about a hero whose identity is completely secret, even from the readers, the only one I could think of was Shadowhawk, the image character from the early 90s. But even then, that was more of a plot device than anything and got completely revealed in the second miniseries, i.e. within a year of the character's introduction. So definitely not what you asked for. Hey, close enough, Clinton. As for your idea that a modern human fly was some sort of passive power that draws him to where there's danger, I'm really digging it. He'd be kind of like Sam Beckett in Quantum Leap, trying to fix wrongs. Or even more like Leonard Nimoy in The Simpsons. Quote, Wherever there is mystery and the unexplained, cosmic forces shall draw me near. Chris Franklin said, 
Great show, Max and Steven. Some interesting tangents here, like the Dungeons and Dragons animated series. I agree, it had no business being that good. Oh, I loved it so much. From the few episodes I've seen as an adult, that one still actually holds up and is as grown up as I recall from childhood. Spider-Man and his amazing friends, produced by the same studio? Not so much. The Mr. T analogy was apt as well. Carmine Infantino is vastly underrated in his ability to draw very attractive, sexy women. His work seemed more pneumatic at Marvel. Not only here, but with Miss Marvel and Spider-Woman. The changing times, I suppose. Ghost Rider is an obvious guest star, since he was born a bit from the Evil Knievel craze as well. Maybe Nicolas Cage knows who the human fly really was. You know, Chris, that would not surprise me at all. Mike Dinas said, Another fantastic episode, Max. Steve was a great guest. He really was. And brought some great insights to the inscrutable human fly. Like you guys talked about, having your main character be a complete mystery to your audience must be hard to write. I think it's fun, but at a certain point, I think a writer has to start dropping breadcrumbs to help explain the mystery, or, like you guys mentioned, have him not be the main character. Rubik the Amazing Cube was a great pull. That was a crazy idea to just sell a toy. I love 80s cartoons and all the ideas that were thrown at the wall to see what would stick, and sell. Speaking of which, I also enjoyed the D&D cartoon, Steve. It was really trying to legitimize D&D and make it non-satanic, though Venger didn't help, for the masses. I wonder why they didn't try to also make a human fly cartoon. You'd think he'd be great for an action series and would sell toys like hotcakes, just thinking of all that evil Knievel merch that came out. I also wonder why there was never any human fly merch or a cartoon, Mike. Even if the comic itself was cancelled, I still think a fly cartoon could have been pulled off. Who knows, it might have been even more successful. Brian Linton said, I was trying to think of how you could update the human fly for current times. Getting back to the original idea of a human fly as someone who scales buildings or walks tightropes, I thought the best modern equivalent would be a parkour practitioner. With that in mind, the new human fly could be a secretive parkour expert who uploads videos of their death-defying runs on social media. Despite their online fame, they avoid appearing in public. In keeping with that idea, this human fly could operate at night, thwarting crimes they encounter while making their runs through the city. You could even keep the tragic accident as part of their backstory, but perhaps replace the steel skeleton with an athletic prosthesis. I also enjoy your shoutouts to DC Superhero Girls, which helped to foster my daughter's current interest in comics, and to Stingray. I'm also a fan of the red and white watery wonder, and I'm counting down the episodes until Ohatmu or not reaches his entry. Thanks for another amazing episode. That's another good idea, Brian. One of the great things about the human fly is that he is enough of a blank slate that he'd actually be easy to update in all sorts of ways. And so much of it overlaps that it could be kept fresh without locking the character into any one thing. Martin Gray said, How lovely to hear Steve on the network again. Number two sounds like another solidly entertaining issue, and the Infantino green art is certainly a draw. I've always liked Carmine's 70s Marvel work, and yes, his women redefined pneumatic. It's hilarious to hear that after all the setup about Human Fly's secret ID suspects, it never came up again. Oh well, at least DC could use the idea for Wild Dog. That's a great observation about Human Fly's costume being reminiscent of Stingrays. Now there's a character Marvel should really be reusing regularly based purely on his brilliant visual. But, last I heard, the Submariner had fed him to the sharks. Charming. I would be interested to read an issue of Human Fly because, despite individual stories sounding entertaining, my gut reaction is that this isn't for me. The old TV Hulk-style, quote, hero goes from town to town and falls into a different soap opera story every week and you never see the other characters again, doesn't have enormous appeal, but still. You know, Martin, I would love it if you gave the Human Fly a shot, not only, you know, because I'm obviously a fan, 
but just because I would really be interested in the opinion of someone who thought they wouldn't be into it, and then to see if they were right or if the human fly could win them over. If you ever do give the human fly a try, Martin, let me know. Captain Entropy said, Thanks for another enjoyable podcast, Max. Steve, you're a great guest, and appearing on Fire and Water is a wise use of your open calendar space in the summer. For those of you who might be wondering, Steve is a teacher. Uh, the captain goes on to say, It occurs to me that the human fly is a little more like a pulp hero than a comic book hero. He has a capable entourage of distinct characters around whom most of the plot revolves. He's a mysterious, uber-capable moral paragon whose character needs no further development, and the action beats revolve around him. Sounds like the Shadow or Doc Savage to me. Our guest Steve Gibbons replied to the captain, Captain Entropy, that's a really good point about the pulp hero trope. With the exception of the visuals and tone being pure 70s Marvel superhero, the structure of the character dynamics is very much like the Shadow or Doc Savage. Uh, At one point in the show, I mentioned that I came across two issues of this comic with different sales prices. We speculated a little on how that could have happened, and Siskoid had this response. I can't confirm because I don't own any copies, but it's possible the 35 cent version is Canadian. There's a third cover with the British price, 12 pence. This is true of the first three issues, then down to two versions. North America, Britain, then the US price jumps to 35 cents, and I guess we're synced until inflation changes the prices again. Random issues of the Human Fly will also have a Whitman cover for sale in department stores. That I've never seen, but I would love to find it. That wraps up the comments for episode 2. We're going to take a short promo break, and we'll be right back with your comments on episode 3, covering the Human Fly story, Castle in the Clouds. There's something like 115,000 English-language podcasts in the world, and no doubt... Hundreds of them are aimed at the comic book genre. There are sci-fi comic podcasts. Horror comic podcasts. War comic podcasts! But do you know what we need? Two guys crazy enough to combine those fields and make a podcast of their very own? Yes. It's the answer to a question no one asked, so that's why we are answering it. Such a gaping hole in the podcast landscape must be filled post-haste. Did you really just use the word post-haste? The Weird Warriors podcast covers the Weird War Tales comic book series published by DC Comics from 1971 to 1983. Along the way, we'll also check out other horror and war comics published by DC, Marvel, Charlton, and any other targets that may present themselves to us. I have the war books, and he has the horror books. So if you're ready to take a nice, relaxing look at the hell of war in comic book form from the age of the caveman to the distant future, then report for duty by subscribing to the Weird Warrior Podcast, brought to you by the Brothers Flea, wherever fine podcasting provisions are issued. Vampires! Aliens! Dinosaurs! Alien dinosaurs! There's something for everyone. General Sherman said war is hell, but do you know what else is? weird for our purposes yes so tune in to the weird warrior podcast today do it that's an order yes sir don't call me sir i work for a living but we're not getting paid for this hey well i'm max and i'm rich and we're going to be bringing you the weird warriors podcast where we will promise to make war no more mother mother i feel sick Send for the doctor. Quick, quick, quick. 
Hey gang, it's Mark from the Social Distance Warrior Podcast. With everything that's going on right now, don't you wish you could just get away from it all? Like, far away? It's the year 5 billion and 23. We're in the galaxy M87. Yeah, I think that's far enough. Well, then tune into the Straight Outta Gallifrey Podcast on the Ride On Network. It's just what the doctor ordered. Well, I suggest before we go outside and explore, let us clean ourselves out. See, he gets it. Am I he? I mean you. Uh, You know what I mean. I am he, and he is me. And we are all together, Gugukichu? Exactly. On Straight Outta Gallifrey, they'll cover every iteration of that Time Lord. You may be a doctor, but I'm the doctor. In addition to every other Time Lord in the Doctor Who universe. So tune in and escape into the world of Doctor Who. The human race moves on, but so do the viruses. It's an ongoing war. Ugh. A little more upbeat, please. Leaving is good. Never coming back is better. That's more like it. Check out Straight Outta Gallifrey on RyanNetwork.com and follow us on Twitter at SoGallifrey. Why don't you write a letter to the car? Dear car. And we're back. For the death-defying human flycast episode 3, Rob Kelly scaled the cliffs of Mantlobe Madness as he tackled the first of a two-part storyline that found the human fly free climbing up a mountain to fight hired thugs and our new favorite mechanical menace, giant robot condors, all to rescue a young girl from a castle in the clouds. Captain Entropy said, Fun as always, gentlemen. I like your ideas for a modern take on the human fly, Rob. I don't think any artist was ever offended by a comparison of his work to Milt Caniff's. Yes, Rob came up with one of my favorite ideas for updating the human fly, bringing him back as the legend out of the misty past to mentor a new fly for a new generation. I think that idea just has so much potential. Chris Franklin commented, Fun show, fellas. I prefer to think of the human fly's baton as his swagger stick, because that's what Ideal called it in their Evil Knievel toy line. Old Evil came with one himself, so I think the fly ripped him off a bit. Ripped off or improved, Chris? This ad was created by Marvel, who also did a one-shot Evil comic to promote the toys. The human fly may have been a good bet for Ideal when they had to drop Evil after he took a ball bat, not a baton or swagger stick, to a nosy journalist and did jail time. Later, Ideal worked with Marvel to revive the Evil toy concept in Team America, but what if they gave us a human fly toy line instead? The mind boggles. Chris, I think that would have been a dream for the real human fly. Competing with Evil Knievel on the shelves of toy stores across North America? Perfect. Previous guest Steve Givens said, I enjoyed this episode immensely, Max. You and Rob provide some excellent commentary on the issue and the first of a two-parter, no less. Two comments. First, my comment in the last episode about a modern take on the human fly needing to ditch the cheesy cape was right. A capeless human fly in the panel of him in the tank fighting the shark looks awesome. It really does. But that cape... 2. Does Lee Elias draw Harmony White as gorgeous as Carmen Infantino did? I mean, I never wanted to be a sweater so much in my life. Woof. You and me both, Steve. You and me both. Mike Dynas said, Well done on another fantastic flycast. I'm intrigued by this weird Mr. Martinet, and I agree with you that it's a weird name for a supervillain. But he does know his branding. 
I'm seriously considering going the Rob Kelly way and buying these single issues to read along with you guys. Who knows, maybe this show will increase the value of the Human Fly comic book. <laughs> we can only dream, Mike. I love your ideas for rebooting the Human Fly. Just hearing how much fun you guys were having with it made me 100% on board. The Human Fly may be ludicrous, but it's a fun ludicrous that makes me want to read it. Tom Florio says, Your best episode yet. This is indeed a crazy two-part story, and the only possible answer as to why Mr. Martinet is in costume is because comics. Love the idea for the reboot with the dumb kid and the unretired fly. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Tom. Moving on to episode four, the human fly cast saw the return of Rob Kelly and the villainous Mr. Martinet. Unexplained costumes, severe head trauma, and all-out war in the Rockies was only the beginning of the second of a two-part story in the human fly number four, a real Rocky Mountain nightmare. Chris Franklin said, That battle page looks like a still from the incredibly frenetic G.I. Joe, a real American hero commercials Marvel used to do for the comics and the toys. Human Fly was really ahead of the curve. I keep telling you people. The combo of Elias and Santiago gives it a Frank Robbins feel, and I know we get some Frank Robbins in this series. Of course, Frank Robbins owed a lot to Milton Caniff, so it all comes back to that influence. Great discussion as always, guys. Max's research into rising divorce rates wasn't something I expected to find in this podcast. This show and this comic never cease to surprise. Chris, it just goes to show, you never know what to expect from the human fly. One day it could be giant robot condors, the next day it might be a breakdown of divorce rates over the last 50 years. Keep an eye out for a future episode where we discuss the average accident rates at mid-sized carnivals in the 1970s. We're not really going to do that, honest. Mike Dinas says, I'm really enjoying this series even though I've never read the comic, but by gum I want to read it so much now. Get on that, Mike. As much as I enjoy all of Rob's other shows, it's great when he's also the guest on another show and you guys did a great job breaking down this stupefying story. I really enjoy that at the beginning, while bordering on the fantastic, Marvel tried to keep the human fly true to his background as a daredevil. Now, with issues 3 and especially 4, things are now just crazy bonkers Marvel superhero shenanigans. I would love to see a cosplay of Mr. Martinet complete with Robot Condor. <laughs> Mike, that would truly make my life complete. What a great idea. If there are any cosplayers listening, I hope one of you will take up the challenge. Mike goes on to say, Speaking of, Robot Condors would make anything better, not just Kramer versus Kramer. Maybe Max needs a pet Robot Condor for this show. Ange said, Chris beat me to it. The art does have a sort of Frank Robbins feel to it. I love Robbins. I like this. As for that battle page, it is hilarious. My favorite part is the motorcycle at the bottom just going off the cliff, the driver screaming. Just fantastic. This sort of had the feel of Yojimbo, where the two rivals are going to fight regardless, but then the wildcard of Toshiro Mifune, or in this case the human fly, enters into the equation. Lastly, I nominate Keeping It Real as the name of the feedback section of this show. Done and done, Ange. Your yellow dot award is in the mail. Shag came back to say, another fantastic episode. This podcast series brings so much joy every episode, even though I've never read the series until now. I don't have anything insightful to add, other than I can't wait for future episodes, and that every comic needs more robot condors. I got a letter this morning, how do you bring it red? Say hurry, hurry, the gal, you love is dead. I got a letter this morning, I say, how you ring it red? Oh, it's a horror, horror, 
Moving on to our latest episode, the Human Fly cast took us to Quebec, where the human fly scaled the towering inferno and special guest Siskoid plumbed the depths of his past. As our discussion of Fire in the Night brought new insight into the mysteries of both Siskoid and our neighbor to the north, we also got a new clue into the shadowy past of the human fly himself. Well, sort of. Chris Franklin said, Fun discussion, and I think we're slowly learning the secret origin of Siskoid across several shows lately. The human fly using his swagger stick scepter baton to launch a grapple line is a lot like Daredevil and his billy club, yes? And he's dressed all in red. Speaking of which, until the heavy Canadian content, I never thought about it, but the human fly seems to be rocking the Canadian colors, doesn't he? Chris, that never occurred to me until you mentioned it, though now it really seems obvious. Frank Robbins, I had a complex relationship with his stuff as a kid. Part of me saw it as ugly, but I get the dynamism of it right away. The latter eventually overcame the former. Yeah, Chris, we definitely stand Frank Robbins in this house, but I can completely see your point. The ragdolling, as Siskoid called it, can start to enter uncanny valley territory, and it can be both weird and something that takes the reader out of the story. Lucky for us, though, that dynamism seems to work for the human fly stories. Captain Entropies dropped in to say, Thanks for another fun episode with extra Canadian content. I enjoyed the discussion of the human fly's identity and how that secret affected his readability. It's true that the Batman stories that Siskoid mentioned, where Bruce Wayne is unmentioned or irrelevant, work. However, I think the ones where he comes across as more human work better. My favorite Batman interpretations have an active life and real relationships as Bruce Wayne. They make it easier to relate to the icon, and I care more about the character and what happens in his stories. Most of what we have for the human fly is his inner monologue and what we see him say and do. That's enough. But if he were a current character, I would look forward to more. Wolverine may be a better example of how to handle a character with secrets, releasing them in dribs and drabs over a period of decades so that we valued each revelation. If the human fly had continued in the butcher shop that <laughs> and the butcher shop that owned the character hadn't had allowed it, maybe that's the way this would have gone. The antagonist in the story was certainly in that vein. Looking forward to next month's wild adventure. Rob jumped in to say, Now I know why I never got a thank you note from Siskoid after I sent him that jar of peanuts for Christmas. Uh, to understand that reference and to get a peek into Siskoid's origin story, go back and listen to episode number 5 of the Human Flycast. Rob continues, Like Lee Elias, Frank Robbins is one of those guys whose work I love now, not so much when I was a kid. With his crazy body poses, he's a great fit for the Human Fly. As someone who did fancast Johnny Knoxville as the Human Fly, I didn't think of it as cynical as Siskoid describes. I think Knoxville has tried to stretch a bit in non-jackass projects, and now that he's older, I think he'd have the sufficient real-world experience for a part like this. I mean, this is a guy who has broken many, many bones trying to entertain people just like our hero. Mike Dynas says, This was a fantastic show, Max. You and Siskoid had some great insights into this issue, and it's definitely whetting my appetite to find these back issues. But, even if I never listened to this episode, I would have wanted to buy this issue for the amazing cover. If I had seen this as a kid, I would have definitely picked it up, or more appropriately bugged my parents to get it for me. It's so incredibly dynamic and makes you want to know what happens inside. The, the covers for The Human Fly, 1 through 19, the whole run, are some of my favorites. They're just really great to look at. Mike continues, But what happens inside, yowza. As bonkers as some of the past issues have been, this one seemed more, I don't know, dramatic? Serious? It's still kind of crazy, but it takes itself a little more seriously and feels less kooky than the last issue. But it's still loaded with fun. Maybe Mantlo was trying to cash in on the Towering Inferno disaster movie craze. 
Siskoid has some great insights into the building in the comic, and even though I've never been to Quebec, it's on my bucket list, I would also say there is a slight resemblance to a building in downtown Vancouver as well, with its almost square geometric windows going all the way up, and the slope at the bottom. The address of that building is 1075 West Georgia Street, Vancouver. I'm sure a lot of buildings in the 70s had the same concrete jungle vibe to them, so maybe I'm just grasping at straws here. Mantlo's Canada really is a generic Canada. While we still don't know who the human fly is, I'm starting to learn a lot more about who Siskoid is. What a story about your short time in Montreal. I'm wondering if we should just have a show on the network about Siskoid's life. This was tons of fun and I'm already looking forward to the next episode. Siskoid replied to Mike saying, I've had people wonder how X, Y, and Z all fit into the same life and yet I feel like I've hardly done anything at all. Something I failed to mention during the broadcast, Pearl Harbor was bombed on December 7th which seems a dangerous time of year to go tightrope walking between the Sears and Empire State buildings. No wonder the guy fell off. I don't know, New Yorkers, is early December balmy in the Big Apple? Siskoid, I've been to New York in December, and I can tell you, no it is not. Captain Entropy then came back to share something kind of amazing, saying, One more thing, 23 minutes 30 seconds into the first episode of Marvel's Behind the Mask on Disney+, Stan Lee and Archie Goodwin are shown discussing the human fly and his supporting cast. Guys, if you ever needed a reason to get Disney+, Plus, there it is. Or just get the free trial. Do it for the fly. And that wraps up episode 5, and also catches us up on your listener feedback. Diving into these issues of the human fly and talking to everyone has been great. And I truly, truly appreciate all the wonderful feedback from you, the listeners. Y'all make me feel like I could jump 26 buses. Special shoutouts to our guests so far. Steve Givens, Rob Kelly, Siskoid, and Patrick Joseph, who helped kick this whole thing off. Also, big thanks to Ant for giving the Human Flycast mailbag a name. Keep those comments coming and we'll keep on keeping it real. The Death-Defying Human Flycast is a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. If you'd like to subscribe or leave a comment for the Human Flycast, you can do that on our website at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on Apple Podcasts. You can also find us on Twitter at Human Flycast and on Instagram at FWP underscore Max. Be sure to follow and tag the network with hashtag FWPodcasts. The Death Defying Human Fly List, a playlist including all the music featured in each episode so far, can be found on Spotify, and I'll include a link to that in the show notes. Finally, if you'd like to support the Fire and Water Podcast Network, and why wouldn't you, go to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash FWPodcasts, where you can make a one-time or monthly contribution and unlock various rewards, including getting name-checked on this or any network show of your choice. Support the network, reap the rewards. Thanks again, High Flyers, and remember, the wildest superheroes are real. got mail.